Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Dr. Alex Garza is the incident commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. And yeah, that's probably about the most important title you'll hear on this show anytime soon. He joins us today to explain where our region is at in its fight with the coronavirus. So Dr. Garza, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now, there's just been so much speculation about when Greater St. Louis is going to hit the peak of that coronavirus curve. What is your current best estimate on that? Yeah, so our current best estimate, and I will emphasize best estimate because these are never precise, is uh, is going to be in around um, around a week. So the 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 number where we believe the most number of hospitalizations that we'll have will occur on or around April 25th. Um, but again, that's based off the modeling data um, that we had when we when we last ran the model, uh, which was about a week ago. And so uh, every week we get more data. We rerun our models, and so that date can shift one way or the other. But as of right now, that is, um, that's when we believe the peak is. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about what peak means, though. So <laughs> it, it's not, uh, don't vision it like a mountain where hmm. there's, like, we do this steep climb and then hit a point and then have this steep drop off. This is more of almost like a rolling hill. So we accumulate uh, uh, hospitalizations over this period of time, and we think that we'll have the most number of hospitalizations on or around the 25th, and then we'll gradually come back down. Hmm. And part of that is because of all of the, you know, social distancing and shelter-in-place rules that we've that we've had in place. This curve would have looked a lot different without that. Yes, yeah, it would have looked like that mountain had we not done the or or had our elected officials particularly not taking the action that they did. So you're talking about this happening next week in terms of the peak of hospitalizations. Will the peak of deaths likely be a bit after that then? Or are we looking at that as being roughly in that same time frame? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's hard to say. Um, and I can't give you an exact answer. But, but if I think about this logically, uh, you, we know that a certain percentage of people that are hospitalized in intensive care, really sick patients are, are going to succumb to the disease. And we know how long patients typically stay in our ICUs and on ventilators. And so it, if, if we use that logic, then we would probably see that mortality increase about a week to 10 days after, after the peak. Okay. So things could be kind of dicey for the next couple weeks. Um, Correct. Okay. So yeah. what do your current projections show about whether this is going to be the sort of swamp to our local healthcare systems that we were all so worried about on the front end? Yeah, well, we, we were worried about that on the front end. And I think, you know, um, and, and part of that, again, was based on modeling. And, and people have probably heard me talk about our modeling it looks like a hurricane model where the further out you go, the, the less predictability you have. Mm -hmm. And so early on in this, when we were taking a look at data and what was coming out of Europe and, and other places, and then plotting that to what the St. Louis metropolitan area looked like, we, we got back some pretty scary numbers. And so when we took a look at those, we said, well, how could we meet that demand? And, and then we started, that's when we started pulling our hospital systems together to start looking at capacity. So right now, given though the rerunning of the model and the updated data and what we think the cases are, you know, we'll be a little bit stressed, but we believe that we can handle, you know, that, that level of patients 
uh, within our healthcare system. Now, we, mm-hmm. when I say that, it's not like we're doing normal operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still operating under crisis standards of care. And so we've converted, you know, um, and when I say we, it's really the collective we of, of the of the healthcare systems have converted, you know, entire floors to housing uh, COVID patients and entire ICUs that do nothing but take care of COVID patients. And so, um, and then in addition, we still have what what we term as sort of our normal sick uh, population as well that we need to take care of. Um, and so there's there's no other things uh, going on right now outside of taking care of really urgent emergent cases and COVID. So there's no elective surgery going on. There's no other things going on. And so um, so we're operating under a different model right now, mm-hmm. but we've built enough capacity into the system that we should be able to handle um, that number of cases. So we have all hands on deck, and that's why we're going to be okay um, when we Correct. hit the, the peak right. of that curve. So we were always told that the idea was to give healthcare providers time to to get those sort of things in place. You know that we wanted to be ready for when this this peak was going to hit. So if we hit the peak and our system handles it and things start to go down, is that enough to say that yeah we can start to open up in the St. Louis area again? Yeah, that's a that's a really cautious question. Um, so we certainly do not want to um, say yes, we're past the peak. Let's throw open the doors and let everything go back to normal, mm-hmm. because we know um, virus is still circulating within the community. And so if you if you think about, and you're absolutely right that that part of the reason for uh, for practicing all of the shelter-in-place and social distancing was to decrease the rate of spread because we knew if we were going to be on a trajectory of like in Italy or France or Spain that the healthcare system would be completely overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so what does that translate into? So that translates into a lot of death. Um, so not only death from COVID patients, but deaths to other patients that we could have potentially also saved that would not get the attention and care that they deserved either. And so that's really what came up with our simple slogan of, you know, stop, spread, save lives. It's not just for COVID, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. So now, but getting back to your to your question about, okay, so now that we've reached this peak, um, we we know that that peak, as I said, is more like a rolling hill. So it's going to take some time for those, those cases to start coming down. Um, and so we'll need some time to recover from that. Um, we're also buying time to get caught up with personal protective equipment, hmm. to get caught up with medical therapeutics, all of those things. And if we open too fast, too soon, um, it, it's pretty clear that the virus will ramp back up. We'll get that and second cases, wave. Yes, we'll again begin to spread again, and we will then have another wave of patients um, coming at us. Um, for which, you know, we, we wouldn't be prepared for. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this, you know, we call it the, the dance. And so it's how much can I open, how fast, how soon, uh, while still being able to manage the virus. So the virus doesn't care if the economy is open or not. All it's doing is looking for a host to replicate. And so if it can find that, then it's going to go. Um, and so we have to be really cognizant that you know, we're, we're not the only ones playing in this game. It's the, it's the virus as well. 
Mm-hmm. We're talking to Dr. Alex Garza. He's the incident commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. And if you have a question for him, uh, specifically as it relates to our regional response to the coronavirus or what we should be doing next, give us a call, 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. We did get a question on Twitter from Blake Brown, and he tweets, does Dr. Garza consider that a second wave will happen no matter how long we wait, that maybe the virus is simply going to do what it will do no matter what, and that we can't hide from it forever? That's certainly a thought I'm, I'm hearing expressed these days. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we certainly can't hide from the virus forever, and that's exactly right. So, But we have to be very focused on how can we how can we uh, manipulate the virus's strategy? And so I'm going to use a little bit of, of my my career in the military here. When when you're when you're battling an enemy, you're, you're, you, the goal isn't really to just attack the enemy. It's really to defeat the strategy. Hmm. So think about the virus's strategy. The virus's strategy, its only strategy, is really to stay alive and replicate. That's the only thing. It doesn't care like who you are, where you live, or anything like that. So in answer to the question, then, yes, the virus is going to do what it's going to do. But if we can impact the strategy of transmission, that does all of those other things that I mentioned previously. You know, it decreases uh, morbidity and mortality uh, in our population. It allows the healthcare systems to deliver you know, effective and efficient care for everybody, not just for 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 COVID patients. And quite frankly, it, it allows um, the economy to come back at a gradual pace rather than opening up and, and being um, decimated by a huge number of cases coming back. Hmm. If you look at uh, the, the 1918 influenza pandemic, which St. Louis is rightfully given credit for, for, um, for really decreasing the amount of death when it was first noticed. Then Mayor Keel put in um, um, a heavy dose of, of social isolation and shelter in place, and we were credited with having a very low mortality rate. And the exact same thing happened. And so people got accustomed to, well, we're doing very well with influenza. Let's open up the economy again. And that's what he did, only to be overcome by a second wave, which caused more death than the first. Hmm. So we absolutely want to avoid that from happening. Yeah, that does seem like a good goal. <laughs> we certainly don't want the second wave to, to be worse than than this first wave, because, man, this first wave has been something. Um, I'm curious if you've seen there's a new study that came out of Stanford. I believe it, it just broke this morning where they went around and tested a random sample of the population. And they're suggesting the rate could be 50 times higher than what we now know. What do you make of that? Um, I am not surprised by that, and so I just read the headline right before I jumped on the phone with you. Um, and so if you think about some of the statistics that we've been putting out as the task force, um, we've sort of mirrored that where we've said, hey, we believe there's going to be 71,000 cases in the St. Louis metropolitan area by the end of April. And, and the way to describe that is that's not 71,000 people that have been tested positive. That's 71,000 people that have actually had the virus. And so it's, it's a little bit misleading, and I, and I always cringe a little bit when people put out, you know, this is the number of cases mm-hmm. that, we've, that have been identified in the state or in the county. That is always limited by our testing capacity. So really what you're saying is this is the number of tests that we've done. 
It isn't the number of cases. We've had many, multiple times more cases in in our community. We just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. You know, 30% of, of people with coronavirus are walking around without any symptoms at all. And then there's a healthy percentage that have had minor symptoms that have never bothered to get to get tested. And then there's some, you know, these testing centers are still relying on a very restrictive protocol before they'll do testing. And so some people could have had abnormal symptoms or different types of symptoms and never been tested. Do you have so, any so sense that, of, of when we might have enough tests within this region that that'll change, that we'll be able to get a truer sense of, of how many people here have had it or currently even have it? Yeah, that's a great question um, and one that's asked frequently. So if you think about testing, there's two different types of testing. One is the one that we talk about a lot today, which is the PCR test or polymerase chain reaction. And that is a test that's used to look for active infection. And that's the one that places like South Korea and Germany did a lot of testing early on to identify who was sick and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. So that's your, your population surveillance. Um, that is the one that we've been, uh, that has been raised limited, where we haven't had the supplies that we need in order to do massive amounts of testing, which is why really only sick people are getting tested right now, because we just don't have the supplies that we need. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't see that changing in the near future. It's, it's merely it's, it's a production and a supply chain issue. And we're competing with every other metropolitan area. We're competing with every other healthcare system. We're competing with the federal government on a limited supply. And so I, I don't see that changing in the near future. Now, the other test that's coming online uh, and should be available come May sometime is the antibody-based testing. And what that looks for is immunity in the population. And so it, it may be a better idea to not, to not uh, worry so much about, when I say worry, I mean, like, we don't think we're going to have the supplies anyway for, for that PCR-based testing. Yeah, we're just not going to get it. So maybe move on yeah. from that, move to yeah. the antibody? Yeah. Exactly. So focus on the antibody test where we believe that we can do a large amount of testing on that antibody platform. We did get a a good question from Twitter. Um, Susan asks, are the antibody tests that are now available, like that of Arc Labs and Creve Core, are those dependable? Should we wait for other FDA-approved tests? Another good question. Um, So there was a recent article in Time that called Antibody Testing the Wild, Wild West. Hmm. And it's absolutely true. So the FDA, during these times of extremists with the pandemic, has really loosened the rules on testing that can go out onto the market. Um, So I believe only one of those tests has been approved by the FDA. Now, there's certainly, you know, um, uh, uh, there's certainly companies out there that are doing very good tests building test kits, things like that. But there is also a number of companies that are really playing fast and loose with the rules. And Mm. by that, I mean they will advertise that their tests are FDA approved when they're not, um, or that they can provide um, a diagnostic test. Diagnostic, we usually mean to say acute infection, like you're actually infected with it rather than immune, which it doesn't. And the other piece is some of so so two other things um, a lot of them have never been validated for how good they are so how accurate of a test it is mm-hmm. and the other one is they haven't been validated on whether they can distinguish between other more common coronaviruses things that cause a common cold and the novel coronavirus which is called SARS-CoV-2 
And so those are all of those things um, that need to be proven before we can validly say this is a good test. Hmm. And to my knowledge, we haven't found any yet by we, I mean, we in the healthcare system have not found one yet that has met all of those marks, although we are working with um, testing companies to validate all of their tests that are coming on board. And we do believe that we will be able to do all of those validation tests and have one ready to go by sometime in May. Okay. So you're thinking we're close to that, but it sounds like you're saying take caution with anything currently available yes. on the, in the St. Louis market Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Well, that's some good advice because I, I know people are really interested in, in that question right now. Um, right. People should proceed right. with caution. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Marianne is calling from Sunset Hills. Marianne, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Um, with regard to opening the economy back up, could we look into people wearing face shields if they go to a restaurant and then, or a face mask, but you can't really wear a face mask when you go to a restaurant. But Yeah, that, that seems shield. like it might be hard to eat with a, a shield on or a mask on, but... Maybe you, if everybody coming into the restaurant has a face shield and the workers, is that a, has anybody been looking at using face shields versus the masks? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question, Marianne. Thank you for that. Dr. Garza, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so so I'm assuming, again, that you, you don't want to eat with a face shield on either. <laughs> that's, that's a safe bet. There may be, you know, something with a straw. But um, anyway, so... Um, so, yes. So uh, I think um, the, the question is really good, but let me expand on it a little bit. So so when we're thinking about what would it take to reopen the economy and then how would you reopen the economy, um, again, I think we have to really distill it down to what sorts of things can we do to reopen the economy while still controlling the risk for transmission. So, again, we have to get back to that strategy of the virus, which is transmission. And so that may mean things like if we choose to open restaurants that we make sure like every other booth is blocked off. So Mm. we create distance between diners and that people coming into the restaurants, maybe when they come in, they have to wear the mask, but of course we take it off when, when it comes to eating and things like that. Um, so it's those sort of, and then, you know, you would limit the number of patrons that you could have inside the restaurant as well. And so it's, it's those sort of strategies that again, all lead back to what are the things that I can do realistically to decrease risk of transmission? And then, you know, making sure there's a very strict cleaning policy, hand washing policy, all of those things uh, going on in addition to those other things that I talked about. So it definitely won't be business as normal uh, when we begin Correct. to reopen. Um, right. That was a great question from Marianne. Let's go back to the phone lines. Aggie is calling from St. Louis. Aggie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hello. Hello, Dr. Garza. Thanks for all you're doing. I have a question about maternity care in our local hospitals. What are we doing special for moms that are about to deliver? And their babies, of course. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So we're taking all of the precautions that we've been taking uh, with taking care of our other patients. And so, um, so some of that is, you know, limiting our visitor um, uh, uh, policy. So they are one of the carve-outs, though, in our visitor policy. So, of course, you would want, you know, your, your loved one there with you um, for, for the delivery and things like that. But, but limiting um, our visitors, uh, making sure that, um, you know, we're practicing all of the proper um, personal protective equipment around patients, 
um, doing all of the, the things that we would uh, normally do with hand hygiene, keeping surfaces clean, um, things like that. We, we don't deliberately um, test every pregnant person that comes in unless there's a reason to suspect that there would be a, a COVID exposure or active infection. Uh, but again, we, we do those sorts of things as well in order to protect both you know, both our healthcare workers as as well as the patients and and the children. I, I know that our our NICUs or our neonatal intensive care units have a very strict visitor policy now as well in order to protect the in order to protect those those babies. Um, Aggie, thank you for that question. Uh, let's go to David calling from San Francisco. Uh, David, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Oh yeah, morning. I uh, I'm uh, former St. Louis native, so I'm uh, yeah. Greetings to everybody. Well, out thank there. you for still caring about us. We appreciate that. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, February fifth is pretty much when San Francisco shut down. Mm-hmm. Y'all we were very a, early. Yeah, that's right. We're going on uh, what uh, ten weeks basically. We mm-hmm. lost probably a billion dollars a week. We were going to. Yeah. Uh, our convention center uh, had a show that closed out, and one of the participants in the convention turned out to have been infected. So the mayor here was courageous enough just to shut the whole convention center down. We were about to have the Facebook convention, which would have been massive people from all around the world, all of demographics, and that would have been followed by game show, another billion dollars uh, worth of show, which would have brought in demographics from all around the world. We shut it down, Mm -hmm. and as of this morning, our death count in San Francisco is 17 people. Yeah, it's that's amazing. Wild. I mean, <laughs> Dr. Garza, does that um, does that give you some hope there that with um, you know these types of measures that this yeah. virus can be tamed? Yeah, well, I, I think that just proves the point. And, and thank you for calling in all the way from San Francisco. Um, that, that just I think it reinforces the point that um, in order to, and I sort of tell people to walk it back. So if you look at the death number, uh, that is a, um, a proportional representation of people that were really sick. And that is a proportional number of people um, that were sick in general. And then that is a reflection of how many people were infected in the population. Um, so we, we know these percentages um, that we're playing with, with people that are infected. And the way that you prevent from becoming infected is to decrease transmission. So you'll hear me keep going back to uh, to that strategy of the virus. And so the key to that is to stop the spread. And in order to stop spread, um, you know, it, if people have, have asked questions like, well, these are like old-fashioned rules with shelter in place and things like that. And shouldn't we be more able to do different things in this new economy with electronic and my answer to that is no, the virus doesn't care, you know, if we have the Internet. The virus doesn't care if we can do Zoom meetings now rather than in-person meetings. But what technology does do is it gives us the ability to carry on some aspect of our society without, having, without risking transmission. So if you think about, you know, past pandemics, without this ability, really society shut down as a whole. But technology, what it does is it allows us to carry on not all aspects, but some aspects of of the economy without increasing the risk of transmission. But again, I think that that, uh, low death number really does um, reflect that those tried and true methods for decreasing spread really do work.
Hmm. Well, Dr. Garza, I know we've, we've gone longer than we even said we would go today, but um, we've had such good questions. I just have one last one for you, and that sure. is, mm-hmm. what does success look like to you for the St. Louis area yeah. during this pandemic? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, and it's a, that's a, a complex question as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, overall success would be, you know, we are able to get through um, this pandemic, and, and this pandemic is not going to be over you know, in a month, in two months, it, we'll, we'll be dealing with this until vaccine comes along. So just a level set. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be in shelter in place until vaccine comes along, but, but we're going to have constant community spread and constant people getting sick. Just meant, depends on the level. So I, I think success looks like able to control the transmission, which keeps the number of infections down, keeps the number of de- deaths down, able to open up um, society at a reasonable pace um, while having those protective functions through public health, things like that, so that we can identify and squash any outbreaks. And again, buying us time until we can get to that vaccine. Hmm. Well, I like the sound of all that, and, and it feels doable. So I hope we can we can hang in there and get that success for you. So Dr. Yeah. Alex Garza, thank you so much for joining us today. Anytime. Thank you. And, and thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, absolutely. And Dr. Garza, again, is the incident commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.